And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry, man. Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, Jack Webb stars as Sergeant Joe Friday in another police drama on Dragnet from 1953. Then it's a Mother's Day episode of the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show from 1949. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. What's up? Hey, what's going on? Everything's good. How are you? Good, Dimply. It's nice good. to see Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, I know you like Dragnet because Peggy sure Weber, our good pal, used to play Jack Webb's mom on Dragnet. I remember watching Dragnet on television. Yeah, Dragnet's a good series. We have a radio episode for you now. Jack Webb stars as L.A. Police Detective Sergeant Joe Friday. This series came to radio in 1949, lasted till 1957, nine seasons on radio. These were true crime stories of closed cases from the LAPD files. And uh, Jack Webb was all about realism, as you'll hear on this show. This is going back to January 1st, 1953. It's called The Big Bop. Here's Jack Webb in part one of Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a robbery detail. For the past three weeks, a lone thief has been victimizing stores and check-cashing agencies. You've got a description of the man, but so far you've failed to identify him. Your job? Get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Friday, June 10th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Chief of Detective Stad Brown. My name's Friday. We'd gotten a call that there'd been a holdup, and it was 10.36 a.m. when we got to the corner of Alvarado and Catalina Streets, the Harrison Check Cashing Agency. I'm sorry. You'll have to come back. We've had some trouble, and we're not open for business. Come back in about now. Police officer, sir. Oh, well, where have you been? I was held up, you know. Held right up. Yes, sir. Yeah, fellows in the police car was here, and they told me that you'd come out. Well, where have you been? It's taken you long enough. Didn't you use the siren? Yes, sir. We came out just as soon as we got the call. Just seemed us taxpayers would get better service than that. Well, sir, the call just came in four minutes ago. Oh. Well, all right, then. Well, now, let me tell you all about it. Yes, sir, if you would, please. Oh, you just bet I would. Well, now, first off, I had trouble sleeping last night. I knew right off it was going to be a bad day. I can always tell, you know, when I've had a bad night, the next day's always a doozy. Did you give the officers in the radio car a description of the man who yeah, you Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I sure did. I gave it to them right off. Now, are you going to let me tell you all about the holdup? Yes, sir. If you go ahead, please. Well, I had a bad night. Real bad. I knew. 
Oh, oh, say, say, my, my name's Harrison. Abel Harrison. I don't think that's your fellow's name. Oh, that's my partner, Frank Smith. My name's Friday. Oh, how do you do? Glad to know you, yeah. Darn fool next door kept pounding the typewriter all night. He never let up. Sir? Man next door. That's why I didn't get any sleep. Some crackpot trying to be a writer. Oh, it's an awful thing. All night long. Dit, 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 ding, dit, dit, ding. All night. Not a wink of sleep. Yes, sir. If you just tell us about the robbery, please. You ain't interested, huh? Well, no, sir, it isn't that. It's just that the more time we lose here, the harder it's going to be to apprehend the suspect. You can understand that. Oh, well, yeah. Now, maybe if you just answer some questions for us, it might be easier and possibly a little faster. Huh? Okay. Far away. What time did the man come in? About 10-12. Was he alone? Yep. Did it look like there might have been anybody else with him? Nope. Do you know if he drove an automobile? Couldn't tell. I see. Well, would you tell us exactly what he said and what he did from the time that you first saw him? Came in, 10-12, had a gun, walked over to me, pointed the gun, told me to stick up. <laughs> That the way you fellows want it? Well, you just relax, Harrison, will you, and tell the story in your own words. I'm trying to do just that. Yes, sir. Maybe if I went slower, it'll be easier for you boys. All right, sir, you go right ahead. Well, he came in, stood around for a minute, then come over to the counter. I asked him if I could help him. Uh-huh. We cashed checks, you know, payroll checks. First off, I thought that's what he wanted, to cash a check. Wasn't, though... Asked him what he wanted, and he pulled out the gun. Told me to keep quiet and hand him the money. Pointed the gun right at my heart, right here. My heart. Are you with me so far, boys? Yes, sir. Go ahead. So I gave him the money, all there was in the drawer. I see, sir. About how much was taken, Mr. Harrison? About $1,500. He just took the paper money. He didn't want the silver. Had two paper bags. Looked like he carried his lunch in them. All kind of wrinkled, you know. Yes, sir. Had me put the money in them. Then he told me to lay down on the floor. Lay there and count to a hundred. My ones. Told me not to move until I'd finished. He said if I did, he'd come back and kill me. The way he told me, you knew he meant it. After that, he left. All right, sir. What if you can give us a description of the man? Sure, but already gave one to the other cops. Ain't that enough? We'd like to have you tell us, if you would, Mr. Harrison. Oh, them other fellows don't work with you, huh? Well, yes, sir, they do. But we'd just like you to describe the man to us. Well, what's the matter? Won't they tell you? Well, yes, Mr. Harrison. They'll tell us for the questions they ask you. We're forgetting how to broadcast. We have to fill out a report and try to get the man who did this. Oh. <laughs> Seems like a pretty funny way to operate. Don't tell the other cops what's going on. How tall was the man, Harrison? Well, let's see. I'd say about, ooh, five feet, maybe eight to ten inches. Mm-hmm. How much did he weigh, would you know? I'm just guessing, you nosy. I'm not sure. Yes, sir. We understand. Well, I'd say he weighed maybe, oh... 150, right around in there. How old was he, would you know? Maybe 25, 26. How about his coloring? Was he dark or light complexion? No, dark. He had black hair, brown eyes, mean-looking eyes, like steel balls. How'd you pick up a vacuum cleaner? Steel, hard. Yes, sir. How was he dressed? Had a pair of Levi's on, Levi's and a blue shirt. He had a brown leather jacket on, too, one with a fur collar. Was he clean-shaven? Oh, yes. His face looked like he just had a shave. And the talcum powder on it. Uh Do you wear glasses, sir? Yeah. What kind were they? I couldn't tell you. Just glasses. Well, do they have metal or plastic frames? Oh, plastic, yes. Light, you know, kind of tan plastic. Heavy. You know, the kind that don't have the little curly things around the ears. Just big pieces that went over the top. Did the man touch anything with his hands? No, no, he didn't. The other officers asked me that, too. He didn't touch a thing. Was anybody else present at the time? No, no one else. I was the only one here. Well, the man have any marks or scars that you noticed? No, leastways not that I saw. Was there anything unusual about him? Anything that might help us identify him? Well, that mustache should help, sir. His mustache. I think it's funnier than a three-dollar bill. Looked like it to me. Well, I thought you said the man was clean-shaven. I did. 
all around the mustache. I didn't think he meant like that. He's probably clean-shaven under that, too. Sure looked phony to me. Why do you say that? It was red. He was dark. Had black hair, black eyebrows. It seemed likely to come up with a red mustache. <laughs> seemed likely to you? Hard to say, sir. Don't seem likely to me, not at all. I'll tell you something else. What's that, sir? I think them glasses was fake, too. Glasses was funny, you know, like it hadn't been ground, kind of flat. I think they was phony, just like the duster. Duster? Mustache. Red mustache with black hair. Phony. All right, sir. Thank you very much. And we'd like you to come down to the office and look at some other pictures, if you would, see if you can identify the man. Be glad to. I'll not do it today, though. Why is that, sir? Well, I already told you, you had a picture of him down there. I'd probably miss him. It's been a real bad day for me. Ah, well, tomorrow will be better, though. Why is that, sir? Gonna get some sleep tonight. That's so? Bribe the landlady. Yeah? She let me in his room. I took it. What's that, sir? Ain't gonna do much typing without his ribbon, is he? For the past three weeks, we'd heard the same story. A man had entered a check-cashing agency or a small neighborhood store and at gunpoint taken all the currency. Each time, he'd hit just after the owner or the manager had come back from the bank. The descriptions we'd gotten in each theft was the same. Each of the victims looked over the mug books, but they were unable to identify the suspect. The stats office had made an M.O. run going back ten years. The leads they turned up were run down, but they led us nowhere. Communications to George Brereton up at CII in Sacramento had turned up no new information. We were right where we were after the first robbery. We had a suspect we couldn't identify, a suspect that we couldn't find. 10.45 a.m., the latest victim closed up his place of business and started to accompany us downtown. As we walked out of the store, a police car pulled up to the curb. In the back seat was a man of about 25 years of age. The officer told us that they'd caught the man running down an alley three blocks away. The man who matched the description of the thief identified himself as Rudy Martin. While the radio car officer stood by, we took the suspect over to our car to see Averill Harrison, the victim. Caught him already, huh? Is this the man who held you up, sir? Uh, let me get out and take a good look. All right. Mm-hmm. 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 Tell him to turn sideways, north and south. All right, sir. No, no, I'll turn sideways. That's him. Are you sure? That's the man, even without his mustache and glasses, I can tell. He's lying. He don't know what he's saying. Don't you talk that way to me, young fellow. And where's my money, huh? What'd you do with my money? I haven't got it. I never took any money from you or anybody else. You're crazy. I'll teach you to talk to All me right, like Harrison, that. Never mind. Now, if we need anything more, we'll be back to talk to you. You mean you ain't going to take me downtown now that you caught the fellow? No, sir. We'll get in touch with you later. You make him tell you where he hid the money. $1,500, all in paper. You make him tell you. All right, sir. We'll do that. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, I'll be right here. Anything you want me to do, just give a holler. I want to see this fellow get what's coming to him. Yes, sir. Here's our card, and you call us if you need to. Yeah, you do that. And make him tell you what he done with the money. Oh, you want to get back, Martin? I'll check with the radio car, Joe. You want him to follow us to the office? Yeah, tell him we'll take Martin here to the robbery division. We'll check him later. Right. All right, Martin, put your hands up as high as you can. With handcuffs on? With them on. You ain't going to find anything. All right, get him up. See, I told you. This is a bad thing that man did. I haven't done anything to him. I didn't take his money. Sit back, Martin. Back in the seat. You ever seen that man before? No. No, I haven't. Is he mad at you for any reason? I told you. I never saw him before. Well, he says he knows you. He says you held him up a little while ago. He's crazy. Why do he say something like that without a reason? I don't know. Your wallet back here? Yeah. All right, slide up a little. Any money in it? No, all I got some change. Maybe 40, 50 cents. 
Just a few cards there and a couple of phone numbers. That's all. There's no money. Mm-hmm. Who's this? This is Johnny Salvatore. He's a friend of mine. Chris Turan. Another friend. They haven't done nothing. They're both nice guys. And look, you got no right to do this. You got no right to arrest me. I just want to talk to you. If you haven't done anything wrong, then you haven't got anything to worry about, have you? That sounds good, but what am I doing sitting here in his car with you? All right, now tell us the real story, huh? I have nothing to tell. I was over by Central Avenue when these two cops came by and picked me up. I wasn't doing anything. Officers say you were running down an alley. They say that you wouldn't stop when they told you to. Now, how about all that? I was scared. You can see how that had happened, can't you? What'd you do with the gun? Wasn't any gun. The victim says it was. I don't know what you're talking about. You registered for the draft, Martin? Yeah. Well, where's your draft card? Isn't it in the wallet? No, it isn't. Guess I must have lost it. You ever been arrested? Did you hear me, Martin? Hmm? How about it? Yeah, a couple of times. What for? Bag. Where? Here, back east. Where back east? KC. You sure that's all? Yeah. What were you doing in that alley this morning? I was on my way to see a guy. Who? A friend of mine. Okay, Joe. Yeah? I'll call in. We can get started. Right. 1K80 to control 1. 1K80 to control 1. Control 1 to 1K80. Go ahead. Prisoner in custody. Show us out to room 27A, City Hall. KMA 367. Roger, 1K80. KMA 367. You all set? Yeah, let's go. Now, who's this friend you're going to see, Martin? You have to know that? We have to know. Chris Tarrant. What are we going to see him about? Job. He said he could line one up for him. Where do you live? Rooming house down on wall. All right. You want to tell us what you do to that money? What money? I don't know how to tell you any better. I didn't have anything to do with that guy. I don't know nothing about any robbery. I was on my way to see a friend about a job. A couple of cops picked me up. That's all there is to it. Nothing more. If you think you can make this thing stick, then you go right ahead. I don't think you can. Well, we got a lot of time, Martin. So have I. I got nothing to do. Night's sleep and a couple of meals. That's what I stand to come up with. I got no problems. Go ahead. Lock me up. You're going to have to let me go. I don't care what the old guy says. I didn't hold him up. Not him nor anybody else can say I did. The clothes you got on match the ones the hold-up man wore. So what? A lot of people wear these kind of clothes. The victim identified you. The guy made a mistake. I told you that. All right, Martin, you called it. I hope you know what you're talking about. Hmm? The victim of the robbery identified you, and there's five more we think we can tie you into. We make you on the rest of them. you got real trouble here. Now, you'll save us and yourself a lot of time if you'll tell us the truth. You wouldn't know it if you saw it. Well, there's one way to find out, isn't there? Yeah. Try us. 10.52 a.m. We took the suspect back to the city hall and we talked to him for over three hours. He refused to admit any knowledge of the holdups. We checked him through R&I and we came up with the arrest record that he told us about. In checking his record, we found that the suspect was wanted for draft evasion. In the meantime, the other victims of the holdup man had been brought down to the office. The suspect was placed in a show-up with several other persons. They all failed to identify Martin as the thief. In checking further with the last victim, Harrison, he stated that he'd probably made a wrong identification. We had a search of Martin's room made, but we were unable to come up with anything. The two friends he'd mentioned were checked out, but there was no record on either one of them. The suspect was turned over to the federal authorities for prosecution on the draft evasion charge. We were right back where we started three weeks before. The next morning, Saturday, June 11th, we started all over again. This time we went back into the files 15 years. Anybody who even vaguely matched the description was checked out. The M.O. of the thief was rechecked. The machines came up with an additional 17 possibles. Each of these were checked out. It took us two weeks, and at the end of that time, we were back where we started again. We had nothing but a description that apparently didn't match anybody in our files and an M.O. that didn't fit any known criminal. During the time that we'd been checking out leads, the bandit was inactive. Additional cars from Metro Division had been assigned to the detail, and rolling stakeouts were maintained around check-cashing agencies throughout the city. The hold-up man had apparently dropped from sight. 
Saturday, June 25th. I checked into the office. Robbery, Smith. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Ben. Huh? Oh, just a minute. Little John. You see him, Joe? No, I don't think he's here. Little John? No, he's not here. No, Ben, he isn't here. All right, wait a minute. I'll check the book. Yeah, here. No, I left about an hour ago. Yeah, I'll be back. Want me to call you? Okay, wait a minute. Here's a pencil. All right. Uh-huh. 0281. Right, yeah. Okay, Ben. I got something here. Teletype from San Diego from Hewan and Davis. Yeah, what is it? I'll read it to you. RE, your APB, dated June 10th, RE robbery. Robbery occurred this city last night. MO and description matches your suspect. We have identification as Jerry Lane. San Diego number 146382. Are sending mug shots. Huh, looks like a break. Well, it might have been. You can let me finish. Yeah. He got away. 12.15 p.m. A special delivery letter arrived from San Diego with the mugshots of Jerry Lane. There was also a note from Sergeant Carl Davis. He explained that the suspect had held up a small liquor store in the city and had badly beaten the owner. A witness was shown the mug books and was able to pick out the bandit. He was identified as a Jerry Lane. He had only one arrest record, and that was for a misdemeanor offense in San Diego County. We checked the name through our identification bureau, but there was no record on him in our files. The mugshots from San Diego had been taken over four years previously, but the victims of the robberies in Los Angeles had no trouble identifying it, even without the glasses and the mustache. Additional broadcasts were gotten out carrying the name, and radiograms were sent to Washington and to Sacramento requesting any available information. Another week passed while the search went on. During that time, the holdup man hit once more, this time in National City, just south of San Diego. From the reports we got, the M.O. matched the one previously used. The suspect made good his escape. Tuesday morning, 11.30 a.m., Frank and I had been out running down a lead. We just got back to the office. Well, there's another one that didn't go anyplace. Yeah? You know, Joe, if somebody could figure out a way to filter out the bad leads, it'd sure save a lot of legwork, wouldn't it? Yeah, I guess I get it. Robbery Friday. Yeah, all right. It's Ewan. Yeah? Hi, Pappy. Yeah. When was that? Yeah, anything on him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you're probably right. Well, I guess the only thing we can do is put out another broadcast. Yeah. No, nothing up here. What'd you say? Right, yeah. Well, if anything else turns up, let us know, will you? Right. Oh, wait a minute. Say hello to Carl. All right, Pappy. Yeah, we'll be talking to you. Right. Thanks. Bye. What's he got? Well, it's our suspect, Jerry Lane. Yeah? He's going to have to stand for more than a 211 charge now. What do you mean? Latest victim just died. That's first portion of Dragnet. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here for Remind Magazine, America's monthly blast from the past. Each month, Remind Magazine focuses on a pop culture theme from the 1950s through the 1980s, covering a wide spectrum of topics from Marilyn Monroe to Marilyn Manson. In every 50-plus page issue of Remind Magazine, you'll find dozens of puzzles, movie posters, trivia contests, classic comics, crossword puzzles, vintage advertisements for products from days gone by, and much more. And every issue features my column, Radio 360, 
where I focus on a celebrity from Hollywood's golden age and write about his or her radio work. And next to my article is the monthly schedule of the classic radio shows I'll be playing each month so you'll never miss your favorites. Remind Magazine is available at Barnes & Noble and Walmart stores throughout the country. But because I write for this magazine, I'll let you in on a little secret. You can get Remind Magazine for about 60% less than the newsstand price by ordering it online at RemindMagazine.com. Visit RemindMagazine.com and subscribe today. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to Dragnet. From the information we got on the phone, it looked like Jerry Lane would be headed for Los Angeles. One of the witnesses to the latest robbery said that the suspect drove away in either a 1942 Plymouth or a Dodge Coupe. The color of the car was listed as either a dark blue or black. Descriptions of the car and of the suspect were printed up and distributed to all law enforcement agencies between Los Angeles and the Mexican border. Al Gayton from the San Diego Department got in touch with the Mexican authorities, and a close check was kept on all cars crossing into Mexico. According to our information, Jerry Lane had robbed at least eight places and stolen a little under $9,000 in a period of six weeks. While we continued our investigation, the San Diego authorities followed up the leads they had. In the course of checking out the friends and associates listed on Lane's arrest record, they came up with the information that he had at one time been employed as a musician in a downtown nightclub. They interviewed the employees of the place, but they were not able to get a definite lead on the suspect. With the mugshot that they'd sent us, and knowing that he was a professional musician, we checked with the local office of the musicians' union. They told us that he was not in good standing. They were unable to give us the address of the suspect, but they did give us the name and address of a bar where he'd worked several years before. At 8.30 p.m. that night, Frank and I talked to one of the waitresses in the place. No, they cut out the band a year or so ago. Not enough business to keep it going. Uh-huh. Did you work here when they did have a band? Sure. I've been here since they remodeled the place. Been four years anyway. Hey, you fellas like a drink? Be on the house. No, thank you. No, ma'am. Thanks. You know a man named Jerry Lane? What does he do? Well, he's a musician. We understand he plays clarinet. Lane? Yeah, it seems to me I do remember him. Not too tall, kind of nice looking if he went for the tight. Yeah, I remember him. You know where we can get in touch with him? No, I haven't got the slightest idea. Got to be a pretty big lush. Had to let him go. Union told him, lay off the booze, but he didn't pay no attention. Always showing up late. A real lush. Possible the owner might know where he is? Uh, it isn't likely. I'm married to the owner. I know most of the stuff that goes on around here. I see. Can you give us any idea where we might be able to get a lead on him? Some of his friends? Maybe another musician? No. Hey, wait a minute. Ma'am? I might know someone. Let me make a phone call. Well, if you give us the phone number, we can put in the call. I'd rather not do that. You see, this girl used to see a lot of Jerry. Maybe she don't want to get mixed up in a thing like this. I'll call her and find out. She knows. She'll tell me. If she doesn't, there's no harm done. Okay. Got a dime? There's two nickels. Thanks. I'd rather you leave the door open, if you will. All right. Speak to Betty Hodgen, please. Yeah. All right. They're calling her. Good. Nice girl. Never figured out what she saw in Jerry. Mm-hmm. Hello, Betty? Betty, this is Naomi. Uh-huh. Just fine. You? Oh, yeah, he's fine. <laughs> Say, Betty, I hate to bother you, but do you know where I can get in touch with Jerry Lane? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, wait a minute. Did you get a pencil? 
Yeah. There you go. Now, now what's the address, Betty? Uh-huh. Yeah, I got it. No, no, it's nothing serious, no. <laughs> no, business isn't that good. Yeah, we still got the piano. Sure, gonna keep it. All right. Well, thanks, Betty. You guys are in luck. Yes, ma'am. Here's the address. It's a club down on 6th. Mm-hmm. Betty says he's there almost every night. 9.42 p.m. We called the office and had another team of men sent out. We notified homicide detail that we'd picked up another lead, and they sent out a team of men to give us any help that we might need in apprehending the suspect. The address we'd been given was the Georgetown Club, a small place on West 6th Street. When we got there, the place was crowded, and the band was in the middle of the second set. We checked with one of the bartenders. Sure. That's Jerry playing clarinet. See? Gray suit. Yeah, does he work here? No, he shows up almost every night, sits in with the band. Union doesn't like it. They talk to the boss about it. He's trying to get the bomb out of here. Cause a lot of trouble. That right? Sure. Always he comes in drunk or else he acts like he's high on toll. You want me to get in for you? Yeah, tell him there are a couple of friends who'd like to talk to him, will you? I do it right now. Uh, you don't want me to say you're cops? No, we don't. I didn't think so. Okay, I get it. Thank you. Some place they got here, huh? Yeah, sure is crowded, isn't it? Right. Better watch him, he's probably armed. Yeah, let's get him outside. It'd be easier to take there. Too many people here. Yeah, the bartender's got him now. Right. Now let's let him get outside before we move away. Right. There he goes. Come on. A couple of friends, where are they? They said they would be here. Now, wait a minute. Here they are. Oh. I know you. Where did I know you fellas from? You're Jerry Lane? Yeah. What do you want to see me about? I got to get back in there. If you fellas don't need me no more, I'll get back to work, huh? No. Yeah, thanks a lot. Go ahead. No problem. All right, now, what's this all about? I don't know you guys. Police officers, you're under arrest. What for? Frank? Yeah. Stand still. What are you trying to do? You got nothing on me. Stand still. You stay away from me, cop. Now leave me alone. All right, hold it up, mister. All right, now come on, on your feet. Get up. Now stand still. He's clean, Jonah. Put your hands behind you. I didn't do anything. You got no reason to shove me around. Cut my mouth. It's bleeding. Yeah, well, that makes two of us, mister. What are you after me for? What have I done? I have too much to drink. Is that it? I wasn't bonding anybody in there. That's a nice try, Lane, but it won't work. We got a half a dozen positive identifications on you for robbery. I didn't hurt anybody. You killed a man. Yeah. The last one, I, I heard he died. Is it true? Did he die? That's right. I didn't know what I was doing, you know. I, I wasn't responsible. I just didn't feel so good at wasn't my fault. He wouldn't give me the money. I didn't know what I was doing. That's going to make a difference, isn't it? I didn't know what I was doing. I wouldn't know about that, Lane. That's going to be up to the jury, but you can bet on one thing. What's that? They'll know what they're doing. The story you've just heard is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. On December 17th, trial was held in Department 92, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. Gerald Carlisle Lane was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree and was executed in the lethal gas chamber at the State Penitentiary, San Quentin, California. 
You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brazier. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Vic Rodman, Lillian Bayev, Harry Bartell. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. And that's Dragnet from January 1st, 1953, with the big bop starring Jack Webb, as heard on NBC. Before we tune into a Mother's Day episode of Phil Harris and Alice Fay, I want to remind all of our listeners about our three surprise boxes and Lisa Wolf. She's like the Vanna White of this show. We'll tell you all about them. Okay. Yes, that sounds great. Well, we've got three surprise boxes. We have classic radio on CD. We have classic movies and TV on DVD. And we have Twilight Zone radio dramas on CD. All three of them are available to you. So we have $150 worth of merchandise for only $39.99. What a deal. They are packed with love. And this is brand new merchandise, still in original packaging. We put it together for you and send it right out to you. You can order one, two, or off three boxes. We hope you will check this out on our website. Take advantage of this offer. It's only good until we run out. Check it out at Hollywood360radio.com. And we are running out of uh, classic radio shows. And that's a good thing. On CD. We're really uh, running low. So if you're interested, we still have probably another couple of months or so, but get your order in. Go to Hollywood360radio.com. You'll see a pop-up and at that pop-up is all the information Lisa just told you Can't about. Can't miss it. Yeah, get the classic radio, get the classic movies and TV on DVD or Twilight Zone radio dramas. All right, it is time now for the Phil Harris and Alice Faye Show, good comedy series that starred singer band leader Phil Harris and his real-life wife, actress-singer Alice Faye. Now, it came to radio in 1948, and they played fictionalized versions of themselves as a working showbiz couple raising two daughters. And in his band was Elliot Lewis as Phil's best friend and guitar player, Frankie Remley. Usually, he got Phil into a lot of hot water. There was Walter Tetley, who played Leroy on The Great Gildersleeve. He played obnoxious delivery boy Julius. And the radio show lasted until 1954. We have a Mother's Day episode for you now from May 8, 1949. Here's part one of the Phil Harris and Alice Faye Show. Good health to all from Rexall. Yes, it's Sunday. Time for the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and 10,000 independent Rexall family druggers. Now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Ann Whitfield, Walter Sharp and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Today is Mother's Day, and Phil doesn't have anything for Alice. He intended to buy her something very nice, but, well, let's go back two days. Alice and Phil are downtown shopping. Hey, Alice, let's go home. I'm tired of looking in shop windows and walking oh, up... Oh, Phil, just look at that stunning two-piece French bathing suit. Well, I'll look, but I ain't gonna... Ooh, la, la. <laughs> you like it? Viva la France and cherchez my femme. <laughs> All right, take it easy, Father. Simmer down. 
I just wanted to know how you liked it. I think it's very seductive. <laughs> <laughs> then why don't you go in and buy it? Yeah, maybe I'll... Nah, I'll stick to my Hawaiian trunks. <laughs> Bill, I thought you might buy it for... Well, uh... For who? Oh, I might as well tell you. Sunday is Mother's Day, and it would make a wonderful gift. Oh, don't be silly. My mother ain't the type for that. <laughs> Bill, I was suggesting that you buy it for me. You? Now, wait a minute. I wouldn't let my wife wear one of them things. Why not? Well, it's too scanty. You're... you're well, you're liable to catch cold in it. <laughs> I'm just thinking of your health, dear. You need something warmer. Well, then how about buying me that full-length mink coat we saw? That ought to keep me warm. That'd keep you too warm. <laughs> You'd only perspire and run a temperature. <laughs> there must be a healthy present he can buy me. Hey, Doc, how about a diamond bracelet? Honey, diamond bracelets, fur coats, take it easy. I don't have that kind of cabbage. Well, if you're a little short, I'll help you out. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Phil, I'll give you an advance on your allowance. No, thank you. I have a stipend. <laughs> now, let me see. I got 20, 40... Sixty? Seventy? Hey, Bud, could you spare five bucks for a guy who needs a curly? <laughs> hello, Frankie. Oh, hello, Alice. I didn't recognize you. Wait a minute, Remley. What's the idea of panhandling? Please, I am not panhandling. I happen to be soliciting financial aid for a worthy people. Who? <laughs> oh. The INLGPNRs. Oh, the Anilkapers. <laughs> Fine race of people. Frankie, who on earth are the INLGPNRs? The Institute for Needy Left-Handed Guitar Players named Rimley. Uh, oh, it's for you, huh? Alice, he's trying to raise money to pay his bookie. He owes him $134. Curly, you're maligning me. Just trying to raise enough money to send my dear old mom a gift for Mother's Day. Oh, that's sweet, Frankie. What are you going to send her? A shawl, a knitting bag, or... No, anything? no, I have a sentimental custom. I send her money, a dollar for every year of her life. Oh, now, Frankie, that's a wonderful idea, and I'll lend you the money. How old is your mother? 134. <laughs> Plus interest. <laughs> Ah, uh, so it is your bookie. I was right the first time. Oh, Remley, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Forgetting your mother on Mother's Day. I didn't forget her. I already sent her something. Did you get something for Alice? No. Well, I'm going to right now. Look, Alice, you run along and I'm... You go on home and I'm going to stay downtown and I'm going to shop for your present. All right, honey. See you later. Okay. Hey, Remley. Hmm? She's a sweet hug of stuff, boy. <laughs> Sure wish I knew what to get her. Isn't there something she expressed a desire for? Yeah. Yeah, she liked that mink coat in the window there, but it cost $3,000. Well, yeah, if you buy it in a swanky store like that, but not if you buy it wholesale. 
Well, where can I get it home? <laughs> what did you say? I said, I don't know if I want you to answer this or not. <laughs> I said, where can I get it wholesale? I happen to know a guy. I know. <laughs> I'm going to see you later. No, wait a minute. Come here, Curly. Look. I don't know this guy personally, but they say he's a reputable furrier. Uh-huh. His name is I.J. Grogan. <laughs> at least look at his furs if you don't like them. You don't have to buy them. True. All right, I'll look. Come on, let's go. Hey, Remley. Hmm? Is Grogan's place in this ritzy neighborhood? Oh, yeah. It's just off this street. Come on, Curly. We turn right in here. Okay, I'll get... Wait a minute. Hmm? What are we going up this dark alley for? (laughs) The store is out of the high rent district. (laughs) See, it's along here someplace. Hey, Bud, you want to buy a fur coat? Oh, here's Grogan's fur shop, hey, now. He has his fur shop right out here in the open. Yeah, no overhead. Uh, Mr. Grogan, we're here to look at some mink coats. Well, see, you come to the right place. I got a couple hanging right here on the fence. <laughs> now, here. Now, here's a beautiful belt. I can let you have it for 500 now, just feel this first. Go ahead. Stroke it. Okay. Hey. This feels nice and soft and... Yeah! <laughs> Sounds like a good mink. <laughs> Cut it out, will you? It ain't no mink, it's a cat. In that case, I'll let you have it for two fifty. Wait a minute. <laughs> Frankie, let's get out of here. I've seen this guy in a cowboy hat selling radios all the <laughs> I don't want to do no business up no alley. I want to go to a regular store. Well, now, why don't you say so? Follow me into my shop. Careful, now you watch your step, man. Nobody's ash cans here. That's it. Now, if you just crawl in here through this window... Ah, here we are. Here we are where? Here. Remley, how do you find these places? I got contacts. Now, gents, you wanted to buy a good fur coat. Is that right? Yeah. I got one right here. Well, let me see it. Okay. Wait till I turn the lights out. <laughs> Oh, I've come to the right place. <laughs> What's the idea of turning the lights on? It's for your own protection. This coat is so highly glazed, if I leave the lights on, it'll dazzle you. <laughs> now, just look at this fur. Look at it. A guy's got to be an owl to buy a coat in this joint. <laughs> Stop horsing around. Shall I wrap this coat up, or do you want to wear it? I wouldn't buy a coat in this jip joint. Come on, Frankie. Hey, I'm sorry, Grogan. I changed my mind. I ain't going to buy my wife a fur. I'm going to buy her a diamond bracelet. Diamond bracelet? You come to the right place. Hey, step right behind this crate. Into our jewelry department. Now, wait till I turn the lights on. Oh, this we get to see with the lights on. Of course. I ain't ashamed of my jewelry. Hey, 
Yes, look at this piece here. Now, there's a bracelet any woman would be proud to own. Hey, Curly, this is a beautiful hunk of jewelry. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like the real thing. Yeah. Hey, Grog, how much you want for this? Well, sir, I can let you have it for as little as how much you got. $200. So. You drive a hard bargain, bud. That's the first portion of the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of May, log on to ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Escape Volume 1, featuring 12 exciting tales of high adventure. Escape Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but it's yours for half price, only $9.99 this month only. Also on sale during May is The Life of Riley Volume 1, featuring 12 comedy episodes starring William Bendix. The Life of Riley Volume Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but it's yours for half price, only $9.99, via digital download this month only. Visit ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Escape Volume 1 and The Life of Riley Volume 1 at 50% off their regular price. In June, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during May. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order, and while you're there, download an episode of Suspense starring Cary Grant, Absolutely free is our gift to you. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next time, it's the conclusion to the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show. Then, it's Casey, crime photographer from 1947. Don't miss it. We'll see you next time.